down because people can't resist looking uh, at something uh, on the side of the road. Uh, we're like that. Sometimes, you know, there's an accident and you think to yourself, I shouldn't look, I shouldn't look, but you just almost can't help yourself. Uh, bad news tends to be what we migrate to, and so the news is often occupied with stories of car accidents, natural disasters, uh, job losses, Donald Trump, um, <laughs> political disputes of one kind or another, uh, crime reports, and uh, how much Jose Bautista wants per season and how awful it is for someone to make that much money for swinging a baseball bat. Um, bad news tends to, to, to sell. And so uh, it's funny how we are, but uh, we really do, I think, inwardly long for good news as well. And the gospel, if it's anything else, it's good news. It's good news. And we're looking at stories and conversations that Jesus had with people leading up to the cross and then around the time of the cross and afterwards uh, where uh, he revealed the good news uh, to these people and they understood it in a new way the first time uh, for themselves. That's what was going on today in this story, this really unlikely story of uh, the woman at the well. Last Sunday, we began looking at uh, the series of stories through the eyes of a man that was born blind, uh, and uh, he came to receive his eyesight both spiritually and physically. Today, this woman is what is known as the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. Let me read her story for you. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. If you have a Bible and would like to follow along, we'd be glad for you to do that. Here it is. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, and that was making them resentful. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well It was about the sixth hour, which would have been noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Everybody knows that. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are with now is not your husband. So what what you have said is uh, quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain the one that was near them, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem at the temple. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. 
The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared to this woman, I who speak to you am he. May the Lord give us understanding as we look into his word uh, today. This is a story about uh, a woman at a well, and there's all kinds of cultural stuff going on here that we miss uh, the nuances of because we're not familiar uh, with uh, the time. This woman was a Samaritan woman. The background of this story is quite simple. Samaria uh, was the name of a piece of land that was uh, in between Galilee to the north and Judea to the south. If Jesus and his followers were traveling from one to the other through Samaria, it would have been the shortest and most natural route. Natural, that is, geographically, but sometimes the Samaritans would attack the pilgrims that were going from Galilee to Jerusalem. And so many would choose to bypass going through Samaria and go the longer way down uh, through the Jordan Valley to Jericho and then up the hill from there to Jerusalem. Uh, that is, in fact, what Jesus and his followers did on previous journeys. But on this time, uh, they chose to go through the shorter route through Samaria, which was a riskier route. Remember, there's no automobiles and these are poor people. They don't have uh, horses or donkeys to travel on. They are walking these long distances. This time they went through the north uh, Samaria, apparently without trouble, and there in the heat of the day, Jesus found himself alone by what is known as Jacob's Well, uh, which is still there to this day apparently, and when along came a woman. Uh, Jesus engages this woman in conversation. Now you would think that that is the gentlemanly thing and the neighborly thing to do. If somebody is there, uh, you should of course uh, talk to them. But everyone in Jesus' day would have understood just how peculiar this story was. And it's not unusual that the disciples came back a little bit later in John chapter 4. And you read out that they, they were just absolutely shocked that Jesus was talking to this person. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on this passage, says this, Newspapers and magazines sometimes run a feature titled, What is Wrong with This Picture? They don't mean that it's a bad photograph. They mean that someone in the picture is doing something so unusual and crazy that they're trying to fix a computer, for example, with a sledgehammer or sitting down to a meal consisting of daffodils and tulips. The picture we see in this present passage has several things that are wrong with it. Uh, and they all make, start to make sense as you kind of go through the stories. The first one of these three is this. Uh, this woman uh, was uh, what would have been considered in Jesus' day um, someone you shouldn't be talking to. Jesus was known as a holy man, and uh, John's uh, readers were coming to understand that he was some kind of uh, priest and prophet. And in that culture, many devout Jewish men would not have allowed themselves to be caught alone in public talking to a woman. If it was unavoidable, um, then you would have to say a few words but to actually engage the person in the conversation would be to risk uh, gossip and the idea of impurity or uh, being drawn into some kind of immorality. And so you didn't even want to be seen in public talking to a woman. So here we have this religious leader. Jesus is not supposed to be talking to this woman. Secondly, this woman was a Samaritan. Ever since some of the Jewish exiles had come back from Babylon... Uh, to find that the central section of their ancient territory was occupied, uh, occupied by a sectarian group who believed that they were the true descendants of Abraham. The Jewish people weren't. They were the true descendants of Abraham. Um, there had this been this running racial tension between Samaritans and Jews. Sometimes it had broken out into actual skirmishes with bloodshed and murder. 
Mostly, it was simply a matter of not uh, mixing. The Jews wouldn't have anything to do with Samaritans. They would especially not share eating and drinking vessels with them. And so when Jesus is asking this woman for a drink and apparently going to let her supply the, the cup or the pot that he's going to be drinking from, that was just absolutely unheard of. You weren't supposed to associate with this person, let alone ask them for a drink. So we have Jesus encountering a woman he's not supposed to be talking to, a Samaritan woman he's not supposed to be talking to. And number three, um, the compounding the issue is that this was a woman of bad character. Uh, the normal time for women to visit a well was either early in the morning or late in the day. This was a hot, arid climate. People didn't go to the well in the middle of the day. You need to understand, again, that there is no running water in the house. Uh, several years ago now, Becky and I had an opportunity to go and visit um, some of our brothers and sisters in the church in Kenya. And one of the things I noticed is that every community had a, had a well. There, people lived in simple dwellings with no running water and no plumbing. And water is a big issue in a lot of uh, the world, especially in Africa. And you would see women coming at certain times of the day, it tended to be women in particular, with all these big plastic jugs now, and they were carrying them, some of them on their heads. Um, or they had devised some kind of a, a yoke system to carry these huge amounts of water, and they would all gather at the, at the town uh, well and carry this water home, enough drinking water for their family uh, for the day. This is what was going on in this climate and in this area as well. And so this woman would have been wanting to do this usually early in the day. That's when everybody did it, or later in the day when it was cooler. And here this woman is coming at noontime uh, when she knows that um, not many people are going to be there. This woman has come at a time when she is least likely to meet anybody, uh, at least somebody that might question her and uh, look at her the wrong way. And uh, Jesus um, will presently, in this passage of Scripture, as we've seen, demonstrate that he knows all about her, and yet he's willing to talk to this woman. Anyway, so what we have is a woman that he's not supposed to be talking to, a Samaritan woman that he's not definitely not supposed to be talking to, and she's an immoral Samaritan woman. Three things that uh, just absolutely should disqualify him from this conversation. And yet Jesus engages this woman in a conversation. How does he do this? How does he go about this? Well, uh, what you'll notice here is that he begins to find a point of common interest with this woman. He's at a well. She's at the well. He's thirsty. Uh, she's drawing water. And so he begins to engage her around this pitcher of water, or what we would call living water. The last few weeks, we've been looking at the idea of light. This week, we're looking at the concept of water. This is what Jesus had in common with this woman. He begins to engage. He asks her for a drink, which would have taken her back. She's surprised by that. And uh, then he engages her in his conversation around this concept of living water. The concept of living water would have implied better water. When you see living water, it really means better water. Uh, the better water would have been if you could have drank from a, a stream or a brook. You know, when you buy the bottled water and it's been bottled because it's from some spring in Caledon, or somewhere up in the Blue Mountains, you know, the water has just come out of the ground and, and it's just great water. Well, this is the kind of water that would have been called living water, if you could have had that kind of water. And then there was well water that was often considered to be kind of still and sometimes didn't taste the greatest, um, depending on the well that you were at. And so Jesus says to her, you can have living water. Why would you settle for just this water when you can have living water? And he engages her in a conversation around this whole idea 
of living water. She's quite confused because he seems to be meaning a couple of different things by this conversation. He isn't seeming to be talking just about water. And so she asks for clarification. And at one point, she starts to try and distract them, him again, about um, whenever he seems to be getting kind of boring in about another topic, a spiritual topic, she seems to want to change the subject and talk about uh, the differences of religion uh, that they have. Jesus begins to describe, though, this living water that he's prepared to offer to her that people can have access to, which is a soul-satisfying kind of water where you'll never thirst again, he says. It'll spring up into you into a well of eternal life. And he begins to paint a picture for her of a better kind of life that's available uh, to her. You know, one of the things that uh, you'll hear about a lot over this Easter season that I think is a shame is that uh, we often paint um, Easter as the story of Jesus went to the cross and died for us so that we can go somewhere else. That's usually the way the gospel is presented. You can believe Jesus, receive him, begin a relationship with him, so when you die, you can go somewhere else. And that's certainly part of the gospel story, especially if you're nearing the end of your life's journey. It's a marvelous part of the gospel story that when we die, we have a home waiting for us with Jesus in heaven, the place he's preparing for all of us. Unfortunately, it's only part of the story, and it's really not the major part of the story that the New Testament writers wanted us to get and understand. They wanted us to understand that this new kind of life is available to us right now. You don't have to wait to go to heaven. And so Jesus begins to paint a picture to her. And you need to know, this woman felt that her life was an absolute mess. I don't know uh, the reasons for her marital breakdowns and the series of relationships. Uh, We automatically tend to assume when we look at the story of the woman at the well that this was her fault, that she was some kind of prostitute or something like that. She may have been in a series of relationships where she was just this codependent kind of person and she had just married badly. Who knows if somebody had died? Who knows what kind of woundedness that this person was carrying around, this brokenness that caused her to come to the well in the middle of the day? Whatever it was, she was a broken person. And Jesus begins to engage her in conversation and paint a picture of a better kind of life that awaits her. Well, she begins to kind of get a little threatened by his uh, conversation, and so he just tries to uh, derail the conversation again and run it in another direction, uh, talking about the center of, of worship when he begins to talk about this new life that's beginning to flicker in her soul that's available to her. And then uh, she says, you know, like, in spite of our religious background and our religious differences, we know, we share in common this idea that there's going to be a Messiah coming. When the Messiah comes, he'll help us figure it all out. Because um, he'll tell us, he'll set the way straight, he'll, he'll know what to do. And Jesus announces to her that he is, in fact, uh, the Messiah. The way he goes about doing that is so fascinating because uh, she begins to talk a little bit about her life. And it's like Jesus looks right into her soul and says, I know that you've been married five times. And the person you are with now is not even your husband. And I know why you're here at the well in the middle of the day. Now, this person had not told Jesus any of this stuff. It's like Jesus looked into her soul and saw her brokenness and saw her hurt and demonstrated his compassion for her by a conversation 
and by a conversation that resulted in this a new light being dispensed into her soul. I don't know what was going on in her heart. We're told, if you read on John chapter 4, that she went away, and she thought a little bit about what Jesus said, and she began to become the first evangelist, we read in Scripture, to the Samaritans. She began to tell all her friends, uh, I think this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. He told me everything about myself, and I hadn't told him anything. He seemed to know all about me. You need to come out and meet him as well. And other people became convinced and became followers of Jesus as well. What does this story uh, teach us about the good news? Uh, first of all, two things that I want you to, to take away. First of all, uh, the good news is for everyone. If it's for the woman at the well in Samaria, it is for everyone. Uh, no matter what you've been through, uh, no matter what your background is, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what your starting point, no matter how big of a mess you think your life is, the good news of the woman at the well, because it was for her, is that it was for everyone. Uh, you have not locked eyes with anyone that the good news is not for. Now, the strange thing is, I, I tend to think I love the good news being for me. I love getting grace. But when it comes time to do what Jesus did and extend that offer to other people, I find it very difficult. I like to get grace. I find it hard to offer it to other people. There's a book that's been very important in my life called uh, What's So Amazing About Grace. It's by an author named Philip Yancey. I would encourage you to read it at some point and reread it. It's all about this whole idea of the scandal of God's grace, God offering his forgiveness to people like you and I that don't uh, deserve it or merit it. I was reading that book for the first time and reading about this whole idea of the scandal of grace and how we love to get grace, but we don't like to give it. And a friend of mine went through a very difficult place where he was sent to jail. Uh, part of the reason he was sent to jail is he had done some things that, that affected um, my family. Lo and behold, he calls me up from the prison where he is. And he calls me, because he knows I'm a pastor and I can get in, uh, asked me to come and see him. Uh, I have to tell you, I didn't want to come and see him. I felt betrayed. I felt um, confused. And I felt angry. And I wondered why he was bothering me. And I have to tell you, honestly, I told him, well, I'm going to have to think about this. I would like to tell you that I said, oh, yes, God's grace is for me, and it's for you too, and I'll come and see you. But I had to think about it. And I began to think and pray about it, and I thought, it must be no accident that I'm reading this book about the scandal of God's grace right now. And it's like Jesus just said to me, you talk about grace, but now it's time to show it, and it's a lot harder to show than it is to receive. And so I went and saw him, and I've journeyed with him uh, ever since, as God's put his life back together by his grace. This woman at the well was believing that she had another chance, another opportunity the good news of Easter, the good news that we're going to be hearing a lot about this season is that Jesus went to the cross for everyone. For you, for me, for people that don't deserve it, people we think are outside of the good news. The last and the least person that you think would ever believe in the good news, they're on God's list of people that he loves. The second point of this is that every conversation is a vehicle. Every conversation is a vehicle. It's a vehicle you don't know where it's going to take you. And the thought comes to me as I read this passage of Scripture is, 
Uh, what if Jesus had never talked to this woman? What if he'd done what he was supposed to do and just sat there quietly? She would have been fine with it because that's what he was supposed to do. What if he never would have started talking to her? And I think Jesus uh, was trying to say to his disciples after they wandered in a little bit later, look what can happen if you just engage in a simple conversation. A few years ago, there was a book written called The Gospel Blimp by a guy named Joe Bailey. Uh, it's an older book now, but it's, a great, it's still a timeless story. What happens in this short story is uh, that there is a whole bunch of people that are living in this uh, neighborhood, and they uh, tend to all go to the same church, and they're Christians. But there's one, peop- one person over there uh, that uh, has moved into the neighborhood, and apparently they're not Christians because they have some habits that are different than these people were practicing, and they didn't go places on Sunday that everybody else seemed to be going to on Sunday. And, uh, you know, they said some things that people didn't think were very honoring to the Lord. And so they just thought, well, those people aren't Christians. And so they decided that they would try to uh, reach out to these people with the good news of Jesus. And so they got together as a group and decided how they could do this. And they had a meeting, and they came up with a strategy. They came up with all kinds of strategies, but the leading strategy was that they were going to together purchase a blimp. And uh, they would form a society, this blimp society, and they basically would have the blimp go over these people's houses with a message that's uh, various messages, God loves you, repent and be saved, all kinds of messages. And then they tried airdropping uh, gospel tracts into uh, the person's uh, yard from the blimp. All these uh, strategies that they came up with to try and, and reach people. One day they found out that uh, these uh, people had actually uh, decided to follow Jesus. And so they began to have a conversation with them. And they found out that one of the persons in the group, their group, had gone rogue. Because uh, they didn't start showing up at the blimp meetings very much and doing all these things to try and reach the neighbor. Uh, but the neighbor said, you know, what, what it was that really made a difference was those people over there, um, they invited us over for a barbecue. And then they just started to talk to us. And then my wife was in the hospital for a little while, and she came over and cleaned our house and did all the laundry. And uh, then we went away for a couple of weekends together and up to our cottage. And, you know, we just started to talk, and we saw how they lived And they started to just not be pushy, but they just started to talk to us about their faith. And that's really what made a difference. And the guy said, you know, it wasn't the blimp. He said, no, the blimp, it drove us crazy. That thing flying over, making all the noise. All those little tracks you dropped, plugged our eaves trough. Um, We hated it. And this little caption comes across the screen when they, they made a movie about this. A little caption comes across the screen. If you want to reach your neighbor, try talking to them. One of the phenomena we have these days is a concept that is uh, new to our times. It's called uh, alone together. I went to a seminar a little while ago with a a professor from MIT uh, named Shelley Turkle, who's a Jewish lady, and she's written a book called Alone Together, Uh, The Invasiveness of Technology into Our Lives. Her contention is that we uh, essentially are being dominated by technology to the point where we are like being in groups, but we don't like talking to each other. And how many times have you seen... If you haven't seen it, watch today. You'll see a family of four or five at a table. And what are they doing? Well, they're having lunch together. They all have their iPhone out. 
or whatever their device is. And they're all going on their device and they're sitting there together and not saying a word to each other. They are alone together. The idea of being a conversationalist, you know, is a dying art. It's not too late. It can be recovered. One of the questions in your home church this week is, uh, if, you're, if you're studying that or you can use it for your own uh, quiet time with the Lord, uh, who have you known in your life that's a really good conversationalist? A person that just is really good at talking to other people and asking questions and listening. Learn from them. Because every conversation is a vehicle. Texting is a good way to communicate. I'm not telling you don't text. Uh, talking on your phone is a good way. I think lots of people want to keep contact that way and do keep in contact that way. But you know, when you're in physical proximity to somebody and you're texting while you're trying to talk to them, I've caught myself all kinds of times um, when we could have a conversation, especially with people we don't know. Um, where might that conversation take us? Where might it take us? I think it might give you an opportunity to share the reason for the hope that you have to at least make an invitation somewhere. First we barbecue, someone once said, about what it takes to reach people with the good news. First we barbecue, and then we talk about Jesus. You've never met anyone that Jesus didn't go to the cross for, that God doesn't love. And every conversation is a vehicle. I hope you think about that this Easter season. As we uh, conclude this service, uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, together. Uh, Jesus, um, before he uh, went to the cross, he gathered his uh, disciples around him. Um, the crucifixion took place at Passover time. That's why it's so significant that we're doing this uh, Passover Seder. And you're going to learn a lot more about what Jesus was doing when he went uh, to the Passover Seder with his disciples. He gathered uh, them around, and you need to understand the context was they were having a meal, and they had the plate of all this stuff, and they had a, a, a big feast. It was a, there was lots of food at Passover Seders. Uh, today in communion, this is a symbolic meal, and so there's nothing, you're going to be hungry after you eat this meal today. You'll get a little piece of bread and a little thimble full of juice today because it's a symbolic meal. At the Jewish Passover, it was a full meal. And Jesus, partway through the meal, he took uh, these elements and he transformed them. And he broke a piece of bread that they would have been eating and eating by hand. Didn't use a lot of utensils in those days. And so he, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. You're going to come to a time after I've died and risen again when you'll remember what I've done for you. And so keep remembering what I'm going to do for you, whenever you take bread like this, whenever you have Passover, he was saying to the Jewish people. And so he instituted this meal that we symbolically eat, where we remember. And then he took uh, a cup of wine, and he said, uh, when, when you drink like this, when you're sitting around the table, remember the blood of my blood that was shed for you, for the purchase of your salvation. And you remember the grace that's flowing your way today. In the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus writes uh, to the church in Ephesus, and he says, don't forget your first love. And I think communion is all about remembering the time when you just understood for the first time that God loves you, and his love was being poured out for you at the cross. And you understood that for the first time, and it just was the most wonderful moment that you couldn't quite uh, get over.
That's what we're celebrating today. This is not the table of Heise Hill Church or our denomination. It's the table of the Lord today, and we invite you uh, to participate. In just a moment, I'm going to ask the servers to all come to the front. Every church has their own customs, and so if you're new today, uh, let me just instruct you. We're going to have some bread over here, and the servers will pass the bread down. We ask you to take a piece and uh, hold on to it. And then we're going to eat together. We have a little communion response that we share in together. I'll ask you to stand. And uh, then the second part, uh, we have a little response again that we do that I'll guide you in. And uh, then we take the tray and we just uh, serve each other. It's very simple. The servers will pass the tray to the person at the end of the row. Uh, uh, They'll hold it for you. And uh, you take the cup and take a drink. And as they're doing that, I encourage you to just to say the words, bless you or God bless you, or some kind of affirmation. Because we're supposed to be doing this in community together. That's what the Passover meal is all about. It's the time for God's people to gather together. And then you take the tray and hold it for the person next to you and serve them. And you bless them, and then they'll take it and pass it on uh, down the way. If for some reason you want to pass today and you don't feel comfortable doing this today, uh, no one's standing in judgment or you or looking down upon you. Please feel free uh, to not participate if you don't want to. Uh, today. But that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, there's a little video clip that we'll show while the bread is being passed, and then uh, Francesca's going to play, uh, and you can uh, hum along if you'd like to while uh, the cup is being passed. Let me invite those that are serving to come and join me at the table. Thankful to our Stovall Home Church that uh, is helping us serve today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today uh, for these uh, symbols today, which are a tribute and memorial to what you did for us on the cross, Jesus. As we celebrate today and as we observe, may we understand again the weight of our sin and may we understand the grace that was flowing to us uh, through the cross of Christ. Lord, meet us at our point of need today. Refuel our spirits. Cleanse us. Heal us. Give us the strength and the energy we need. Help us as we remember those who we're burdened for and concerned for today. Thank you, Lord, for the first love that you birthed into us when you called us into your family. Remind us of that today as we share in this memorial today. And so may this time be full of meaning and rich for us, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. My brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Let's eat together in grateful remembrance. After taking the cup, after taking the bread, Jesus took the cup, and he said, uh, whenever you take this cup, remember my blood and do this in remembrance of me. My brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Let's serve one another and bless each other.
Dear friends, may we go in the strength of the Lord Jesus today as we've received once again this communion. May it be your strength. Uh, May Jesus be your every thought and your inner peace. God bless you and uh, go out into the world to represent him well this week. Please stay around after and visit with us. If you haven't signed up for the Passover Seder yet, we really encourage you to do that. Lynn will be out at the table in the lobby to greet you and you can see the display out there as well. And uh, have a great week. Go in peace.